Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Escalating fears among some business owners in Surrey and Abbotsford tonight as a growing number have received threatening letters. Seems like a classic case of extortion. The letters demand money in exchange for protection from violence. And Angela Jung joins us now with more on this. Angela, it appears whoever's behind this is actually following through on some of these threats. Chris, Sophie, we spoke to an a Fraser Valley business owner who tells us that they fear for their lives and for their families' lives. First, they received threats, and when they didn't pay, their home was shot at, and they have no idea why they're being targeted. We have received a copy of a letter, and in it, it says, if you want to do business in Abbotsford, there is no other way. Business owners' livelihoods and lives are under threats. Global News has obtained this letter, which reads, We are Indian gang members. We want our share from your businesses like protection money. We are asking only $2 million. We have links all over. Do not ignore us. It will affect you really bad. These extortions have been taking place in the uh, ethnic communities for decades now, especially in the South Asian community. The former B.C. Solicitor General says the issue was prolific when he was a police chief in the 2000s, when people actually complied. It was paid back then, certainly not to the extent of millions and millions of dollars, but this is the level that we seem to be going to now where people are making these outrageous demands and threats. The letter points to a business that did not comply and their house was shot at. But Abbotsford police say no connection between the extortion and the gunfire has been confirmed. Surrey RCMP are also investigating similar threats. MP Randeep Sarai says he's heard from concerned constituents. So there has been several calls made apparently and threats made by uh, some gang or some nefarious uh, individuals who are demanding uh, uh, funds in exchange for not uh, having any retribution. He urges people not to give in and instead report the threats to police. If they want to be discreet about it, they're able to discreetly con contact the RCMP or their local uh, law enforcement agency, uh, but they need to make sure that they they speak to them so they get the most information and the most current and accurate information. The proliferation of these letters in the South Asian community is leading to a lot of fear and rumors, but police are refusing to comment. BC's anti-gang unit says it is aware of the investigations in Surrey and Abbotsford and is offering support. Heed says that's not enough and a special task force needs to be formed right away. What the province needs to do is establish a coordinated approach to deal with this in the South Asian community now, not months, not years down the road. All right, Angela, so no comment from the police of jurisdiction, but what's the public safety minister saying about it? 
Well, Minister Mike Farnworth would not make himself available for an interview, but in a statement he says intimidation and violence are not accepted and have no place in BC. He also echoes what police are saying, which is anyone who believes they're being threatened or extorted should contact police right away. Chris? All right, Angela Jong in Abbotsford. Thanks, Angela. Vancouver's mayor is confirming what we first reported last night. Council has started the process to eliminate the city's park board. Ken Sim says the move, to, uh, the move will eliminate redundancy and inefficiency and could be complete in as little as six months. But as Alyssa Thibault reports, the plan is not without its critics. With his ABC councillors in tow, the Vancouver mayor confirms he's working on a plan. To eliminate the requirement for an elected park board. Ken Sims says he wants to bring the park board's responsibilities under the control of city council, meaning Vancouver would have one elected governing body instead of two. Adopting this new streamlined governance approach will result in significant operational efficiencies, which will free up a huge amount of staff time, which means more things will get done quicker with existing staff levels. The Board of Parks and Recreation was originally created in 1888 as a separate body from Council to protect Stanley this Park. Is the centre of a lush, evergreen playland. Its responsibilities are now wide-ranging, from parks, beaches and community centres to managing tent encampments. Its operation has been met with criticism. A recent report from Vancouver's Auditor general found big gaps in revenue management, even stating the park board needed council approval to spend money. And a separate report found most of the city's community centres were in poor or very poor condition. It's no surprise that uh, delivery and completion of upgraded and new parks and recreation facilities has stalled and could deserve better. This is a significant distraction from the budget process that we have underway at the city where Mayor Sim and ABC continue to show that they have no plan for uh, paying for the expensive campaign promises that they made last term. Some commissioners are on board. I believe this move is a step in the right direction. Others are not. In a tweet, Laura Christensen said she and two other ABC commissioners had been removed from the party, citing an email from the mayor's chief of staff saying, in part, we will move forward with the park board transition without you three, as you have chosen not to support the mayor. I'm saying it is inaccurate. No one's been removed from the party. For 135 years, the park board has been the voice of small local democracy in Vancouver. There are also questions around whether the move should be put to a referendum, given the commissioners are elected. People of Vancouver should have a, a voice to be heard and not to be squashed. Though a research co-poll last year found more than half of Vancouver voters think the park board should be eliminated. Sims' proposal is expected to be passed by council next week. Alyssa Thibault, Global News. And Richard Zussman joins us live with more on this. Richard, why does the province even need to be involved in this process? It's all about the Vancouver Charter, Sophie. It's been in place since 1953. It is unique. It, in essence, allows the province to have jurisdiction over what happens in Vancouver. So any change like this has to be passed through the legislature right here. So now the province will be watching very closely that vote that Alyssa mentioned that will take place if it passes. 
by council, it will then go to a formal request to the province. The Municipal Affairs uh, Minister Ann Kang is already closely looking at this. They have been working closely with the City of Vancouver through this transition. If a formal request comes, then the province will look at legislation this fall to open up the Vancouver Charter and remove that necessity of having a park board that's currently in place in Vancouver. Here's Vancouver Mayor Ken Sim. As we have been in discussions with the province, um, you know, on this plus uh, other charter changes and, um, you know, um, we have a pretty positive working relationship and the province, they've been great partners and it's been our experience that they want to do what's best for the city of Vancouver. And so um, as soon as we file uh, the motion, you know, if it gets approved in council, then that starts the clock ticking at which time they can work on it and whatever they decide, they decide. But our estimate is uh, approximately six months uh, to get through the legislature and uh, work on a transition. Mayor talks about that timeline, so the expectation is MLAs will return here in February. The province is already looking at changes to the Vancouver Charter because of the housing changes that are coming, so they're already going to make some changes. That legislation could be tabled at some point in March or April, then will be debated here in the legislature, and once it does pass, as expected, it will mean that those commissioners now in place in Vancouver will be out of that job. All right, we'll see what happens. Thanks for that, Richard. And despite a popular misconception, Vancouver is not the only BC community with a park board. Cultus Lake has one too. Theirs is made up of a mix of elected and appointed board members. Its mandate is much more limited than Vancouver's though, focused just on Cultus Lake's municipal parks with no responsibility for recreation and community centers. More grieving families are speaking out tonight, demanding changes to the notification process in B.C. when people die. They say their loved ones were cremated and buried without any consultation or contact with next of kin. Cassidy Moscone reports. Two families connected by grief and government systems who they say let their loved ones down. The system broken. is broken. Where's the humanity of it? Glenn and Michelle Greer found out their Victoria-based son had died through a Google search eight months after the fact. Sherry and Dawn Campbell just found out last week their mum died on the downtown east side three years ago. Authorities didn't notify them. Both of their loved ones had extensive government files with next-of-kin contact methods to match. I really fully believe that there was no effort made. Now they're turning anger into action, demanding change from the top down. Look at this protocol, look at your system and what you have in place. There's got to be a way to document, put the names of the families in with people. Rather than make excuses, perhaps maybe they need to review their policies and procedures and make amendments. Really, this should not happen to anybody. The minister responsible, Sheila Malcolmson, not available to answer our questions for the second day in a row. A third family has since come forward to Global News telling us they've experienced the same silence from authorities on Vancouver Island in 2020. They found out about a death two months after the fact from a post on Facebook. They say no family was notified because a man identified himself as next of kin. He wasn't. 
If you have chosen family, um, make sure you put into writing your wishes or your directions for after you die, because that person in writing that you've signed off on, that will be the person who gets to look after your body, and that can make a huge difference for their grief. After we first aired Lorraine's story Tuesday night, Sherry says she was contacted by social services. They offered to move very, very quickly on releasing my mother's remains to me. Some closure. Three years on, Cassidy Moscone, Global News. After 13 years on the job, BC's chief coroner is retiring. Lisa LaPointe says her time as the head of the BC Coroner Service will wrap up once her third term finishes in February of 2024. In recent years, LaPointe has become one of BC's most prominent voices in the ongoing toxic drug crisis and a vocal advocate for a safer regulated drug supply. In a statement, LaPointe says she is deeply saddened the agency hasn't been able to influence the changes needed to reduce the impacts of toxic drugs. Families searching for a childcare spot in this province will soon get a bit of a reprieve. The provincial government wants to abolish waitlist fees. It's an attempt to make childcare more affordable. But as Erin MacArthur reports, operators say the fees are not just a cash grab. For every child in daycare in BC, some estimates suggest there could be as many as three on the waiting list for those spaces. Parents forced to sign up for multiple options, trying to luck out with a spot. Sometimes those waiting list spots can be pricey. Earlier in 2023, Victoria parent Brittany McLaughlin found out the hard way getting on a wait list wasn't free. Smaller centers are charging what they would call admin fees as anywhere from 20, 25 to $50. And then the larger centers you're seeing 100, 200 and sometimes upwards of $500. Wednesday, the provincial government announcing it will be eliminating any waitlist charge. Any daycare that receives provincial childcare operating funding can no longer charge parents just for signing up. According to the government, one more way to help make childcare more affordable. But across the board, we're going to keep going to build spaces, uh, support educators with better wages, and make sure that families can access that care and that it's affordable. Childcare advocates say this is long overdue in BC. Other jurisdictions have moved on this file years earlier. We need to make sure that as public funding increases, that it replaces the need to gouge families. Private facilities that don't take any money from the province can still charge for their wait lists. There are some balls. Some in the childcare community worry daycares might find other items to charge for instead. The extra fees have become necessary to stay in business. If they're not going to work with us in order to uh, sort out how much revenue we have coming in, we're going to have to find places for it. The province informing daycares as of Wednesday. The changes to the waitlist fees won't kick in until April 2024. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. It's one of the first hybrid vehicles from the big three automakers, but time has not always been kind to the Chevy Volt. The plug-in hybrid was an early success for General Motors, but there is now an investigation into some model years that could suffer from a sudden loss of power. That's next on the News Hour. I'm free-minded. I can just... Do what I think's best. The one-man cleanup crew tackling the tough job city contractors can't later on the news hour. Plus, not everyone in my family knows that I do burlesque. 
queens of camp, proud to flaunt their love of this art form coming up later on the news hour as well. Right now, though, owners of Chevy Volt plug-in hybrids are being warned about an investigation underway in the U.S. over reports of the vehicles abruptly losing power. Now Transport Canada has announced it's also looking into the issue, and with details, we'll bring in Consumer Matters reporter Andrea. And Thanks, Chris. The U.S. National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, which is similar to Transport Canada, is opening a preliminary investigation into 73,000 Chevrolet Volt plug-in hybrids over alleged loss of power, but also failures to restart and other issues. The investigation impacts models from 2016 through to 2019. Now, the U.S. regulator says it has received 61 complaints so far related to the battery energy control module. Some owners have reported there was little to no warning before the loss of operating power. Here at home, Transport Canada has said it has recorded nine complaints involving the Chevy Volt that may relate to engine performance or what it's calling an alleged loss of vehicle mobility for various issues. So far, it says five of the alleged complaints appear to relate to a similar issue to the one being investigated by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Right now, an in-depth review is ongoing and Transport Canada says it is in contact with the U.S. regulator. Well, these types of situations are very common in the industry. When there's a pattern of a problem with a particular vehicle and NHTSA starts to get reports about these problems uh, from vehicle owners, they launch an investigation. And if their investigation, uh, if the result is, is that there is a significant safety concern, then they'll issue a recall. And usually Canada follows suit, led by, but it is often led by NHTSA. So this is very common for all manufacturers. And if I were to guess, I would say there is going to be a recall in the near future for this particular issue. General Motors ended production of the Volt in early 2019, but thousands of these plug-in hybrid vehicles were sold in Canada. Transport Canada told Consumer Matters there have been no reported collisions or injuries related to this issue. However, it is still encouraging vehicle owners or anyone who believes they have experienced a safety-related condition with their vehicle to report it as quickly as possible to its defect complaint department. And here's the number, 1-800-333-0510 or through its website, www.tc.gc.ca forward slash recalls. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, thank you, Anne. Burnaby RCMP have recovered half a million dollars worth of stolen equipment after a business was targeted by thieves. The North Burnaby business near Still Creek Avenue and Douglas Road was broken into twice in mid-November within less than 24 hours. During the early morning break-ins, around $530,000 worth of surveying equipment and gear was taken. Search warrants were executed on three residences in Mission, where all the equipment, along with three vehicles, were seized. A man and woman were arrested and have been released, and the investigation is ongoing. Just ahead, a sit-down with Surrey's police chief. What can people look forward to in the new year, Norm? How Norm Lipinski is living up to his promise to change the way policing is done. But first, four suspicious figures caught on camera. Why police are hoping you recognize them. Still super busy at the north end of the Arthur Lang Bridge tonight with southbound Granville Street lined up on the approach from West 49th Avenue. 
Kermat Collision and Auto Glass's newest location is in Vancouver on Southwest Marine Drive, conveniently located between Camby and Oak. Kermac, the most trusted name in collision repair for 50 years. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. From breaking news to developing stories. We have teams in the field in some of the worst hit areas of this province. Global news is as local as it gets. No one connects you to your community better than BC's number one news. Come home to the team you trust with the stories that matter most to British Columbians. Global News Hour at 6. We are BC's News. Police in West Vancouver have released video showing four people they believe may have information related to a fire in Horseshoe Bay. You might remember this one. The fire engulfed a well-known party house along the waterfront at Taiyi Point on the night of September 21st. These four people were captured on security camera around the time of the fire. Police say in a 40-minute period between coming and going, a couple of them swapped items of clothing. If you recognize any of them, you're asked to call West Vancouver Police. Well, we are getting a clearer picture now as to how long it might take for a civic police force to take over in Surrey after a sit-down interview with Chief Norm Lipinski. That topic and how Lipinski is following through on a promise to make the SPS different from the RCMP in this report from Janet Brown. The Surrey Police Service says they are doing things differently. Ragnar, where's your ball? <gasps> Starting with Ragnar, an occupational stress injury dog. He's kind of changed the face of how we care for our police officers on their bad days so that they can go out and care for everybody in our community the best they can. And Sergeant Dale Quiring heads up the Community First Unit. The mission of the unit is to really focus on more marginalized folks and people that don't trust the police. With the provincial government's decision to continue with the policing transition, the Surrey Police Service says they are looking forward to ramping up. What can people look forward to in the new year, Norm? An accelerated uh, Surrey transition, that's what I'm looking forward to. But despite that, Surrey Police Service Chief Norm Lipinski says it could take about two years before the transition is complete. You have to look at assets. Who owns the assets? How do we transfer the cars? How do we transfer the equipment? There's a lot of logistics that go into that. A big change he would like to make, dividing up the city into four separate areas and having different models of policing for each. Newton is different than South Surrey. And so what do the both communities need? And Lipinski says he is looking at several initiatives, including a new gang prevention model with input from the community, school and city representatives. We have to think ahead of how we're going to prevent some of these people getting involved in this lifestyle that has bad outcomes. And body-worn cameras for officers are also on his agenda. I believe that is the way of the future in the sense of transparency, uh, collecting evidence, officer safety. SPS officers are expected to make up over 50% of the blended police service in Surrey by the end of 2024. Janet Brown, Global News. And coming up, better policing for the neurodiverse. They could be nonverbal, they could not understand the question, for example, and they're deemed as being defiant. A new tool to give officers a better understanding when responding to calls. And when the going gets tough, 
the tough get going, how this man is working hard to spread joy and overcome homelessness. Want to help us spread some holiday cheer? Jason, me, and the entire Global News Morning Team will be live at the Pan Pacific Christmas Wish Breakfast on December 13th. Come donate a new unwrapped toy and help brighten the holidays for a family in need. Police and firefighters will be on hand to add your gift to a mountain of toys. And you'll get to enjoy a free breakfast. For more details, you can go to globalnews.ca slash bc. This broadcast is presented by Fortis BC. Energy for a better BC. Extra busy for southbound traffic approaching the Patello Bridge right now as crews are on scene to a crash on McBride at Memorial Drive in the right lane. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert care for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and auto glass services. Choose the best. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. The Canadian Coast Guard says a sheen in False Creek that has the strong smell of diesel fuel is being cleaned up, but they still don't know where it's coming from. The Coast Guard received the first reports of the possible spill on Monday night, but because of the bad weather, they couldn't get out to it until Tuesday morning. They sent up a drone to assess the situation, but couldn't determine the source. And they say while they still don't know where that sheen originated, they are continuing to investigate. The Marine Environmental Hazard Response Team is working to recover as much of it as possible. They don't believe the pollution is a safety concern for boaters or people living in the area, but they are asking boaters to avoid any patches of the slick. The BC Association of Chiefs of Police is launching a voluntary new tool for BC families that notifies first responders when they're dealing with autistic or otherwise neurodivergent people. As Catherine Urquhart tells us, it's meant to help first responders tap into their training and respond more effectively. He works hard. 26-year-old Jake Webster likes to help out at home, especially in the garden. I'm ready to go to work in the rain. His mother says he's an outstanding young man. But she worries, as Jake is neurodivergent, especially concerning if he encounters first responders who may misunderstand his behaviors. Parents know there's a very deep concern that things can go sideways very quickly. Neurodiverse individuals, including those with autism, are known to have more interactions with police. So they could be nonverbal, they could not understand the question, for example, and they're deemed as being defiant. Now, the BC Association of Chiefs of Police is addressing the issue with a new initiative. They, these are in draft form, so they're not finalized. Decals are being designed, which indicate the presence of someone who is neurodiverse and can be placed on homes or vehicles. So that would just let the, the officer know that um, they should rely on their training um, and make sure that they're communicating in a way that resonates with an individual who is uh, autistic or neurodiverse. The program is voluntary. It's a win-win situation. It's a win for the neurodiverse population and it's a win also for the police. If they come to my house and I've got the sticker on my window on my front door, they know and they can react more effectively with Jake. The decals are expected to be available at police departments across the province in January. This is just another tool to assist with that, to alert our members and give them just a bit of a heads up. Catherine Urquhart, Global News.
Still ahead, dance with a difference. It's campy, it's weird, it's kind of anything that you want it to be. The growing popularity of burlesque and how participants are pushing it into the mainstream. Plus, yeah! the roadside refuse collector, a one-man crew keeping island highways clean. Want to help us spread some holiday cheer? Jason, me, and the entire Global News Morning Team will be live at the Pan Pacific Christmas Wish Breakfast on December 13th. Come donate a new unwrapped toy and help brighten the holidays for a family in need. Police and firefighters will be on hand to add your gift to a mountain of toys. And you'll get to enjoy a free breakfast. For more details, you can go to globalnews.ca slash bc. This broadcast is presented by Fortis BC. Energy for a better BC. There is a new addition to a pod of Biggs Orcas in the Pacific Northwest. A new calf was spotted traveling with the T046B family, swimming close to 15-year-old Aquila in the waters off Vancouver Island. Now, you might notice it has a bit of an orange hue. According to the Pacific Whale Watch Association, killer whale calves are born with that coloring, although scientists aren't quite sure why. Some possible explanations include jaundice, staining from amniotic fluid, or a thinner blubber layer, making blood vessels more visible. The calf is believed to be just a few weeks old. Let's hope it makes it. Mm -hmm. Very important out there in that family. Okay, uh, very important to our family. <laughs> Christy Gordon with the weather forecast and uh, hey, some sunshine in the forecast. Yes, towards the end of the week, we still have more rain in the forecast for our region tomorrow. But Friday, yes, you're exactly right. Uh, this is the atmospheric river we saw across the south coast. You can see it. It certainly shifted east, impacting the Kootenai region throughout the day today and even into tomorrow morning. Draw this line further south. Those of you in or if you know anyone in Portland, it's been two days of heavy rain there. So we're very lucky that it shifted out of our region. So all of the flood watches and warnings have ended for the south coast, but we still have high stream flow advisories for the southeastern corner. So that's the Kootenai region, and there's still one rainfall warning. The freezing level, though, is going to drop tomorrow. So Kootenai Pass expecting a significant amount of snow on that. You can see the snowfall in Alberta. And then we have a couple of dense fog advisories. So that's for the Similkameen, and that includes the Highway 3 area heading towards Princeton. Reduced visibility to near zero, so slow down on the highways. This is shifting into 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. We've got a little low-pressure center that will bring rainfall to our region. So rainfall on and off throughout the day for our Thursday, we are going to see rainfall in the southeastern corner, but again, a transition to cooler weather. So areas like Cranbrook will see wet snow later in the day, and for our region, we'll start to see a clearing on Friday. Strong northwest flow, though, breezy by the water tomorrow, so if you're headed down there, be aware of that. Meanwhile, across northern regions, sunshine. You're very lucky there. We'll see rainfall in Cranbrook, but other regions dry tomorrow, but continuing with cloud cover. Breaks of blue sky across northern parts of Vancouver Island, but southern Vancouver Island, very similar to Metro Vancouver. Vancouver. We'll see periods of rain, a high of seven degrees. This is what Chris was referring to Friday, looking really nice and a uh, nice end to the work week, but we are right back into it. It looks like by late morning hours on Saturday with periods of rain. All right, tonight's center windows weather window coming to you from Powell River. Beautiful shot. Thank you to Maria for that. A nice little sliver of light shining on the trees off in the distance. Water like glass too. Thanks mm -hmm. very much, Christy.
Well, Vancouver Island man who got sick of seeing the trash littered along his local highways is now taking it upon himself to pick it all up and he's turned it into a bit of a mission. After losing his job and his home during the pandemic, he's now focused on cleaning up his community and ending the stigma of homelessness. Kylie Stanton reports. Walk the trench. And Getting the garbage out means putting the work in. I treat it like a military operation. And the schedule is just as rigid. The last four months I've been doing it consistently for every day, eight hours a day. There it is. It's the full-time job Jason Perry created for himself after the COVID-19 pandemic shuttered his business. Yeah, I was a woodworker, like a cabinet builder. The company was the first to go. His home followed. Ugh. But Perry saw the misfortune as an opportunity to give back. Ooh. It's creating positive energy when I'm doing it. That's kind of one of the missions. And what goes around... One time I found like 25 bucks. ...comes around. People will stop and give me, give me 10 bucks, 20 bucks. Um, I appreciate that hugely. Every honk. Validation. I get rate motivated and I'll play the air guitar for them everything. Perry plans on taking his mission on the road this spring, making it from one end of Vancouver Island to the other in hopes of raising awareness for the homeless while putting an end to the stigma. I kind of want to create an organization doing it. And if I can do that, then I'll, I'll do the country the year after. Getting her. As the saying goes, one man's trash is another man's treasure. Treasure hunt. And it seems in all of this, Perry has found his purpose. I believe the less garbage people see on their travels, the happier they'll be when they get to their destination. I love it. Patty Stanton, Global News. He's a hero. Yes, good for him. Also, stop littering. <laughs> exactly. Stop littering, people. He said he's even found tools on the side of the road. Amazing what people mm -hmm. can toss out. All right, uh, Squire is here now. What have you got coming up, Squire? Well, um, Vernon Secondary's Mark Johnson is a big, talented offensive lineman with a very big goal. The goal for me is to play a professional one day. That's kind of what I've always wanted to do as a kid. He was an MVP this year who played both offensive and defensive line, and he's getting noticed by American colleges. Also tonight... I ended up at a burlesque show and I thought, where have these people been all my life? Showing up and showing off. The modern popularity of an art form that feels like it's from the past. developing stories no one connects you to your community better than bc's number one news come home to the team you trust global news hour at six we are bc's news i'd like a ride in our helicopter <laughs> one day that i just saw in that promo yeah i've never been in our helicopter <laughs> where is it i uh fit in our well this is an interesting point i do push the weight limit up oh i was just thinking that the... you might be too because it's a it's a small helicopter. Yeah, I'm, 
I'm, with me and a cameraman, it was too too much. <laughs> oh, wow. So it's oh, like, God. you get out, Galus. You can take a GoPro with you. Yeah. Time. <laughs> Might be easier. <laughs> All right. Squire is here. A little bit of... Upset, anger? Well, I mean, this has been going on pretty much all season long so far. Andre Kuzmenko was given a two-year contract exactly four days after Rick Tockett was hired as head coach. Now, I wonder if they had waited until the end of the season to deal with Kuzmenko's extension, would Tockett have advised against it? and maybe advocated for a trade. Kuzmenko was on the ice for three of the Devils' first period goals last night in that 6-5 loss, and then he barely played in the third period when Vancouver actually rallied from 5-2 to 5-5 before losing the game on a late goal. After the game, Rick Tockett was asked about Kuzmenko. I'm tired of answering questions about him. We came back. You know, it worked out. You know, Kuzi's got to, you know, he's got to... Four, he's, got, he's got a four check. Let's, let's start with that. All right. Last night, the three Hughes boys were on the ice at Rogers Arena, and their parents, Jim and Ellen, were in the crowd. Now, they were both very aware that there would be a camera pointed at them at all times. And we should say that the Hughes family is very much a hockey family. Ellen played for the United States, the 1992 Women's World Hockey Championship. She was actually one of the top defensemen in that tournament. And Jim is coached in the NHL, the AHL, and the NCAA. He was also at one time the Leafs Director of Player Development. So watching their boys last night, they did show a lot of decorum. In fact, you wouldn't know, if you didn't know who they were, that they had any connection to either team. Example, Jack Hughes, who plays, of course, for New Jersey, scores. Jim and Ellen. Luke Hughes scores. Their youngest boy. Mom and Dad. They are clapping on the inside. Now for yeah. your writing. Very stoic. <laughs> I like that. Christine Sinclair's retirement party was only missing one thing. That would have been a goal from Christine Sinclair. That would have been the perfect ending. But last night was near perfect. As close as you can get. Huge crowd. Over 48,000. A Canadian one nothing win over Australia. And a spotlight shy superstar who actually liked the attention. This type of stuff, it's never my favorite. Um, but I promised myself to enjoy it, and it's been, it's been overwhelming. Um, yeah, I'm going to be on the field with my nieces, and for them to experience this, it's incredible. Mark Johnson is a high school football player in Vernon, which might be a long way from some of the top NCAA university teams, but it's not far enough away that their scouts haven't taken notice of his talents as a lineman, and it's a talent that can transfer to below the border. Vernon Panthers offensive tackle Mark Johnson owned the line of scrimmage in high school football this season. The 17-year-old senior literally manhandled the competition in a way that we've never seen before at the high school level. And we're not alone with that sentiment. He's probably the most dominant player I have definitely that I've ever coached and maybe that I've ever seen. And that's a huge statement considering that he's a lineman. You know, and you see players that are, you know, incredible with the football and they've done amazing things and, and it's difficult to compare. But the sheer fact that he was named provincial MVP as an offensive tackle, yeah, and he played defense. No, don't don't kid yourself. But the way he played football this year at a position that is hard to showcase 
uh, he made it very easy to see that he was best player on the field. Let me put it that way. You're watching and you're watching an offensive line play the game because you're seeing stuff that you just don't normally see in the sport. Angus Reid knows what he's talking about. The three-time CFL All-Star and two-time Grey Cup champion has been keeping a watchful eye on Johnson for a few years now and in typical lineman fashion has been about as hands-on as it gets when it comes to developing Johnson's MVP skills. Where has he benefited you the most? Probably just on the discipline side. Like he's always talked about like, like just work your best and great things will happen for you. And if you stop showing up, you'll stop seeing results. So it's just constantly seeing yourself improve by showing up and pushing yourself to get better every day. You're good, you're good. We moved him up in the 10th grade to start at senior, and he was a skinny kid at that point, and it was kind of, you could see the athleticism, but he was getting pushed around. He wasn't big enough. And I remember, though, you'd see glimpses of, of, of him athletically being able to do things and going, okay, he's just going to get bigger and stronger. As you can see, Mark's a big boy who's only going to get bigger and stronger. He's currently six foot five and 260 pounds and will likely play collegially at close to 300 bills. This is a young man who also possesses speed and skill. He played a large part in Vernon's AA championship season, so it's no surprise he's currently pondering numerous football scholarship offers from both sides of the border. I'm most proud of just the fact that we ended on the championship. That's all I've really wanted throughout my high school career. Wherever the road takes him, we'll look back, and whatever success he has, it'll be going, yeah, we knew that. He, he's got that. He was that guy. There you go. All right, thanks, Squire. The boom in burlesque dancing coming up next. Jordan Armstrong is standing by in the newsroom with a look ahead to Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan? Sophie, tonight, who would put four kittens into a garbage bag, tie it up, and leave it out for disposal? That's what an animal rescue organization on Vancouver Island wants to know after these four kittens were found by sanitation workers at a transfer station in Duncan. Coming up at 11, how the kittens are doing now and when they might be available for adoption. That story and a stunning holiday light display in Port Coquitlam later tonight. Sophie? Can't wait to see it. Thanks, Jordan. All right, a holiday show at Vancouver's Rio Theatre this Saturday will certainly turn some heads. Burlesque is a risque form of dance and storytelling that's becoming a lot more mainstream. It's been around since the 1920s, and even today, performers are still breaking down barriers, describing it as an empowering force. Jason Pierce shows us more. What's the attraction, what draws you to this particular form of dance? You know, it's campy, it's weird, it's kind of anything that you want it to be. She's the co-director of the Vancouver Burlesque Company, and Ariel Helvetica's message, burlesque, is for everyone. For her, the glamour, the glitz, the contagious energy, it's all empowering. There's really a space for everybody to be on stage. I am an interior designer and a project coordinator. I work in book publishing and arts marketing. I run a nonprofit. They are part of the Folly Dancers, self-described as the Radio City Rockettes of Vancouver. 
All ages, all body types, and they are all in, despite how others may perceive their polarizing passion. It's not something that my family likes. Um, my in-laws love it. Not everyone in my family knows that I do burlesque, although after this segment, maybe it would be different. <laughs> Just because there's skin showing, that doesn't mean it's inherently sexual. Um, so I think that's a really important piece of the story. For these performers, it's the art of storytelling through movement. We get to tell a story on stage using our bodies and our music and our costumes. And that story could be about anything. I was one of those people who found burlesque during the pandemic. And being able to access classes without being worried about embarrassing myself in a dance class made it feel so much more welcoming. It's not New York, LA or Montreal, but their dream is for a permanent burlesque venue club in Vancouver. Saturday night's holiday show at the Rio Theatre promises to be high octane fun. It will be the culmination of months of rehearsals. Just let them be whisked away to this magical land that, you know, might be something new or different for them. I mean, that's what I love about burlesque. When the audience sees the follies on stage, they're going to be like, how can I be one of them? What would you say to those viewers that you're just like, I don't want to see this? Well, I mean, they don't have to, but I think that they should consider buying tickets to our show and make up their mind in person and that if they don't like it, then they don't have to come next year, but maybe they should buy more tickets and make up their mind again. <laughs> Jason Pierce, Global News. Just keep going again and again until... Yeah. Until yeah. you really make up your, dis your mind. You know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they want a full house. That's fun. Uh, okay, last word on weather before we go, Christy? Sure. So uh, rain jackets needed tomorrow. Periods of rain, windy down near the water as well. But a nice day on Friday, a little gap in there before the rain moves back in over the weekend. Uh, you know, temperatures are going to come down towards the end of the week. It has been very mild, so that's something to keep in mind. We are expecting some snow on the local mountains. Yoo-hoo! Mm. All right, you'll get your boys up there mm -hmm. sooner than you can imagine. All right, thanks very much, Christy, and thanks for watching, everyone. Good night, all.